the J Talk podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm Johnny Nicol, and I'm starting my three week stint as temporary host of the J Talk podcast while Ben is back in Australia. I'm going to give you a rundown of all the action which took place in round 22 of the 2023 J1 season. Let me give you a quick briefing on how this week's pod will go. I'm going to report on four games, then we'll stop for a brief interlude as I select my player of the round. I'll then cover another four games before choosing my under-23 player of the round. And in the final segment, John Steele will join me to discuss Yokohama FC against Vissel Kobe answer some listener questions, and then we'll do a quick preview of round 23. Plenty of drama at both ends of the table this match day, so without further ado, let's get started with the Saturday night bouts. Shonan Belmare 1, Sanfrecce Hiroshima 0. Shonan Belmare grabbed their first league win since April with a hard-fought 1-0 triumph over free-falling Sanfrecce Hiroshima at the Lemon Gas Stadium on Saturday night. The hosts gave a first outing to summer signings Kim Minte and Akira Silvano Di Zaro, while returnee Satoshi Tanaka slotted in like he'd never been away at the base of the midfield. However, the Seasiders really struggled to get anything going in the opening 45 minutes and all the best chances fell the visitors' way. Most of them came courtesy of Takaki Shichi set pieces or some decent play from Brazilian schemer Ezekiel. The first half was extremely light on action, and indeed we saw more activity in the opening two minutes of the second period than we did during the whole first 45. First of all, new signing Mutsuki Kato just failed to connect with Takumu Kawamura's cross with the goal at his mercy in what was a big let-off for Shonan, who then immediately went down the other end of the field, and Kosuke Onose played the ball to Yuki Ohashi, who skipped past Sho Sasaki, steadied himself, then unleashed a rocket of a shot across Keisuke Osako from over 20 yards out. 1-0 Shonan. Shuto who? In truth, this was the first time Shonan really looked like scoring, but from there on, they were able to see out the game relatively comfortably, save for a 96-minute Kato header, which was smothered by the impressive song in the host's goal. 1-0 the final score, and it's been a good few days for Shonan after their midweek win in the Emperor's Cup. But other results conspired against them this match day, and they remain bottom of the pile. While for Hiroshima, I'll just update the stat I gave the last time I talked to Sam. That's 8 points taken from 11 games since Makoto Mitsuda got injured. Mitsuda's partner in crime, Tsukasa Morishima, has departed for Nagoya. Where does that leave Sam Frecci and their coach, Michael Skibu? Nagoya Grampus 1, Alberex Niigata 0. Playing a day earlier than their title rivals, Nagoya Grampus were able to ramp up the pressure by grinding out a 1-0 victory over Alberex Niigata in a match played in front of an impressive crowd of 57,058 at Kokoritsu Kyogijo, Tokyo's Olympic Stadium. The game's only goal came courtesy of its first shot. Good play down the Nagoya right dragged Niigata centre-back Thomas Deng out of position, which allowed Ryuji Izumi to exploit the space left in behind, charge into the box and cut back for Ryoya Morishita to tap home from close range. Not a great deal more to report from the rest of the first half, but moving into the second stanza, and Alberic seemed determined to give Grampus chances to double their advantage, which in turn led us to a great mini-battle between Niigata keeper Ryosuke Kojima and Nagoya's prolific Danish hitman. Kasper Junker. First, in the 53rd minute, Kojima played his side into trouble, but he redeemed himself with a diving fingertip stop to push Junker's goal-bound effort wide for a corner. Just five minutes later, another clumsy Kojima pass caused trouble. 
Further Keystone Cops defending from Alberex then resulted in Taiki Watanabe tangling legs with Grandpa's substitute Takuji Yonimoto to concede a spot kick, which Kojima brilliantly saved low to his left to convincingly win his personal duel with Junker. Junker left the field shortly after, as Nagoya introduced returnee Naoki Maeda and sporting a new bright red coloured shock of hair, Loni from Sapporo, Taika Nakashima. That duel were quickly in action as Nakashima reached stratospheric heights to flick on a long ball. Maeda then outmuscled Deng to engineer a shooting chance but could only guide his effort wide. 1-0 Grampus the final score. That win, coupled with Visel and Marinos failure to do so, sees Kenta Hasegawa's troops move within two points of the summit. While Niigata, declared safe on this very pod a few weeks back, are 14th, eight clear of bottom side Shonan. Kashima Antlers 3, Hokkaido Consadole Sapporo 0. On to Sunday's games now, and Kashima Antlers made extremely light work of Sapporo in the 6pm kickoff. Owing to an injury to Takanori Sugino and Gu Sung Yun's loan move to Kyoto, Koki Otani was between the sticks for the visitors, and he was picking the ball out of his own net after just 11 seconds. Straight from kickoff, Antlers moved the ball forward. Yuma Suzuki, unsurprisingly, was heavily involved, and he played in the onrushing Yuta Higuchi, who couldn't believe his luck as he made it 1 0. 15 minutes later, Higuchi turned provider, with Naomichi Ueda barging past Sapporo defenders Daihachi Okamura and Toya Nakamura to power a header home from six yards out. Antlers were rampant and spent the majority of the rest of the half on the front foot in a surprisingly fast-paced game. Yuki Kakita blazed high and wide with the goal at his mercy and his side looked like they would score any time they won a corner. And at the midway point of the second half, that's exactly what they did. Higuchi the provider yet again and this time Yuma Suzuki rose above Okamura and Nakamura to head in number three despite Otani getting a good hand to his effort. Sapporo milked the shot count after that, but it was far too little, far too late, and they are now down to 13th on the back of a horror run of just two points from the last six outings. Kashima, on the other hand, well, they are now fifth, only two, point, two, only two points behind Uroa in fourth. Serizo Osaka nil, FC Tokyo won. FC Tokyo returned to the capital with all three points, following an entertaining 1-0 victory away to Cerezo Osaka. The winning goal came as early as the 8th minute, as Diego Oliveira battled with Ryosuke Shindo. Holding midfielder Hinata Kida approached to help out his defender, but unfortunately he only succeeded in knocking the ball into the path of the charging Kuryu Matsuki, who took a touch with his right foot before shooting across and passed Yang Hanbin with his left. Diego then had to leave the field in the 21st minute to be replaced by Perotti, and Cerezo, looking very suave in their navy and pink summer kits, had the better of things from that point on. Satoki Uejo seemed to be heavily involved in all they did. He had a couple of half chances before both Shinji Kagawa and J1 debutant Ryo Watanabe will feel they should have done much better from close range. Into the second half, and FC Tokyo's young keeper, Taishi Brandon Nozawa, on his first J1 outing, was in fine form denying both Capichaba and Uejo before the pick of his saves, a fine block with his legs to deny Seiya Maikuma a headed equaliser. Less than a minute after that chance, the gas men broke down the other end, and Ryoma Watanabe flipped an effort onto the top of the bar from outside the box. Yet another new face, FC Tokyo's Brazilian, Jaja Silva, will be wondering how he didn't crown his debut with a decisive goal, as he saw his shot from two yards blocked with the goal gaping. 1-0 FC Tokyo the final score, Tokyo are 11th, 
level and points with Tosu above them and Gamba below, while Cerezo slip a place to six as their Jekyll and Hyde season continues. Player of the round, Yuta Higuchi, Kashima Antlers. This award probably won't come as a surprise to long-term listeners who'll be well aware that I'm a huge fan of Higuchi, and his goal after just 11 seconds, allied to his two corner kick assists, makes him an easy choice for my inaugural Player of the Round award. His two assists against Sapporo takes him to a hugely impressive 11 in 22 games this season. He's still only 26 and capable of playing anywhere across the midfield. Is there still a possibility that he could head to Europe at some point in the next 12 months? Kawasaki Frontale 3, Gamba Osaka 4. Kawasaki Frontale and Gamba Osaka served up a seven-goal thriller at the Todoroki on Sunday night in front of a large crowd of over 20,000. Both teams were missing a number of first-choice defenders for this encounter, something that would be very apparent throughout the game. Frontale started the brighter and forced some early corners, but they fell behind in the 13th minute when good combination play between Isam Jibali and Juan Alano down the gamba right culminated in the Brazilian centering for the Tunisian, who ended up kicking thin air. However, the ball rolled through to Hideki Ishige, who beat Jung Sung Ryong at his near post. The hosts equalised 14 minutes later. Gamba defenders were rather guilty of standing back to admire the quality on display, as Kyohei Nobodizato chipped the ball into the box for Yasto Wakizaka to control, turn and shoot past a despairing Masaki Higashiguchi. Parity wouldn't last long though, as Juan Schmidt failed to see Ishige approaching in his rearview mirrors and chopped him down in an incident eerily reminiscent of Taiki Watanabe's foul in the Nagoya Alberex game. Jibali made no mistake from the spot, and then Gamba's evening got even better when a careless back pass from young Kota Takai was intercepted by Alano, who coolly rounded Jung and dinked the ball over the retreating Takuma Ominami. A barely believable 3-1 to Gamba at the break. Toru Oniki was shaken into action and he replaced the ineffective Marcinho with Yusuke Segawa at the interval, which proved to be a masterstroke. Segawa dispossessed Ryu Takao and shot wide as early as the 50th minute, but with the game seemingly slipping away from Frontale, he made a more decisive move, first making it 3-2, as his shot somehow squirmed past Higashiguchi, following good work by Shinyamada and Wakizaka down the right. Just four minutes later, and it was 3-3. A barrage of shots rained down on Higashiguchi's goal. He and his defenders couldn't keep them all out, and eventually that man Segawa was there to slot home from six yards. Just a couple of minutes after that, and substitute Shinyamada could have given Frontale the lead, but he toe-ended the ball wide with a goal at his mercy. The game rather fizzled out in the minutes that followed, but there was to be a serious sting in the tail in the six minute of injury time, as Gamba won a corner. Yuki Yamamoto, whose set-piece deliveries up to that point had been quite poor, well, he stepped up, put it on a sixpence for Dawan to nod home his sixth of the season past Jung and spark wild scenes of jubilation among the visiting players and supporters alike. After losing this fixture 5-0 in 2020, 4-1 two years ago and 4-0 last season, perhaps you can understand their emotions. That makes it now eight unbeaten for Gamba, a run that includes seven wins and one draw. They are now 12th, but in a very crowded mid-table, they're actually only three points behind Kawasaki, who remains seventh. And to be honest, on the evidence of this display, it's quite hard to back up Sam and I's argument that Frontale could be an outside bet for third. Kyoto Sanga nil, Kashiwa Reso 1. 
Kashima Reiso picked up a vital three points away to Kyoto Sanga in what was their first league victory in three months. The opening half hour was all Reiso, with Mal Hosoya and Matias Savio spurning presentable openings that were later ruled offside, before Sachiro Toshima hooked the ball over for Hosoya to head, but unfortunately for the Sun Kings, his effort was just off target. Sanga's reprieve didn't last long though, as Rikito Inoue stumbled backwards and could only head a long ball behind him into Hosoya's path, and the impressive youngster controlled it, then bounced the ball past Kyoto keeper Gakuji Ota, using the very uneven surface at the Sanga Stadium to his advantage. 1-0 Reso, and that was Hosoya's eighth of the campaign. The big, and perhaps only talking point of the second half, came in the 53rd minute, when substitute Yuto Mizao, centred for Yuta Toyokawa, whose shot was well blocked, and the rebound fell to another replacement, Tepe Yachida. He deliciously chipped the ball into the far corner from the edge of the box. 1-1, or so Kyoto thought. VAR had other ideas and ruled out the effort for offside against Yogo Yamazaki, who was determined to have interfered with a retreating Kashiwa defender who could have headed the ball to safety. Sanga and their boss Choki J, they didn't like it, but the decision stood and it finished Kyoto 0, Kashiwa 1. Reiso remains 17th, just a point above Shonan, but this win should hopefully provide a real confidence boost for them, allied to keeping a clean sheet in new centre-back Tomiya Inukai's first game for the club. Sanga are 15th, 6 points ahead of Kashiwa. Sagan Tosu nil, Avispa Fukuoka 1. Avispa Fukuoka emerged victorious from this North Kyushu derby, which contained far more action and talking points than its 1-0 scoreline suggests. Closing in on half-time, Tosu left-winger Yuto Iwasaki ran onto a long ball, but he shot straight at Masaki Murakami in the visitors' goal. Avispa then broke down their left flank through Lukian. He centred for Yuya Yamagishi, who teed up Takeshi Kanamori, and his angled shot took a slight defection before nestling in the far corner of the net. The drama wasn't over for the first half just yet, though, as Tosu were awarded a penalty after Yuichi Naganuma's fierce shot was adjudged to have hit Fukuoka left-back Itsuki Oda's arm. Oda immediately looked confident the decision would be overturned, and that turned out to be the case, with VAR showing the ball to have struck his torso. Into the second half, and the woodwork was the star of the show, being involved on no fewer than three occasions. First, Douglas Grawley deflected Yuki Horigome's cross onto his own post, and in fact Fukuoka were also lucky the ball didn't go in off keeper Murakami as it bounced to safety. Ten minutes later, and it was Avispa's turn to strike the frame of the goal, with Lukian prone on the ground, somehow able to redirect the ball up and over Park Yogyu, but his effort came down on the top of the crossbar. Finally, the impressive Naganuma hit a lovely place shot from around 25 yards, but it grazed the outside of Murakami's post, and it has to be said Fukuoka's goal was living a very charmed life by this point. The drama wasn't over yet though, as three minutes from the end of regulation time, Sagan thought they had an equaliser, and Ayumu Yokoyama thought he had his first J1 goal, but VAR ruled out his effort as it showed that ex-Tosu man Masaya Tashiro had got out just in time to play Yokoyama offside. A breathless second half ended scoreless, and Fukuoka made the short trip back home with all three points. On the back of four straight wins, Avispa are up to eighth, level in points with Kawasaki, Tosu are two places and three points worse off, but I think at this stage both sides are kind of playing with house money and can attack the remaining 12 fixtures with the pressure off somewhat. Urawa Reds nil, Yokohama F Marinos nil. 
I initially planned for Uroa versus Marinos to be the opening game on this week's pod. The fact that it's on 8th may be an indicator of the type of match we saw, with two very strong teams largely cancelling each other out. Both sides started brightly, uh, Takuya Ogiwara firing just wide after a great run into the box, and lovely cut-in that left Eduardo for dead. Up the other end, Elbert crossed for Anderson Lopez, but the Brazilian hitman couldn't add to his 2023 tally of 15 J1 goals, and headed into the ground and straight at Shusaku Nishikawa in the Reds' goal. There weren't many talking points in the second half, but in the 66th minute, Ken Matsubara headed off his own line, with Takahiro Sekine bearing down on him. This was after Red skipper Hiroki Sakai had lifted the ball over advancing Marinos keeper Jun Ichimori. The two collided, and a few minutes later Ichimori had to leave the field, replaced by Hiroki Ikura. Worrying signs for Marinos fans, though their next match is at home to Gamba, which means Ichimori, who is of course on loan from Gamba, is ineligible. Shoya Nakajima was later introduced into the action for his Reds debut, but the remaining drama happened in the Reds' defensive third, as in the 93rd minute, Nishikawa spilled what should have been a regulation pickup from Kota Mizunuma's cross. However, Urawa were somehow able to scramble the ball away, with two Marinos attackers advancing. 0-0 the final score. Marinos up to joint top, but they are without a win in their last three. Reds, well, they, they stay fourth. They too haven't won or even scored a goal in their last three outings. It's fair to say there's plenty of room for improvement for both these two sides. Under 23, player of the round, Taishi Brandon Nozawa, FC Tokyo. Some pretty stiff competition for this award with Kotaro Hayashi and Matthias Morais of Yokohama FC in contention, as well as Kashima left back Shuhei Mizoguchi, who impressed with his willingness to look for work and get involved in what was his first J1 start in Antlers 3-0 win over Sapporo. But the award this week goes to J1 debutant Taishi Brandon Nozawa, who ensured FC Tokyo took all three points despite enduring heavy Cerezo pressure. Nozawa used his hands and feet to keep the cherry blossoms at bay and came out on top in his mini-battle with Satoki Urejo. Looking ahead to this winter, I feel Marinos and Frontale definitely, and possibly FC Tokyo and Kashima, may be looking for new first-choice keepers. Does Nozawa, who has built up top-team experience with Iwate Gruja Morioka in J2 and J3, have what it takes to become the gas men's number one? I'd be interested to hear the views of FC Tokyo fans, and also fans from the wider J-League community. And now I'm delighted to be joined by John Steele to discuss the Yokohama FC versus Visel Kobe tie, as well as a couple of other items. Uh, John, uh, roles reverse today, which I must admit feels a little bit odd, but uh, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm all right, Johnny. Thanks. Yes, it's a long time since I've been in the uh, in the guest uh, slash pundit uh, seat, but I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's a nice nice change of a nice change of pace. Yeah, and hopefully the, the cicadas outside don't don't interfere too much. But um, John, when when I asked John, I, I must admit to feeling a bit guilty. Is I thought the likely outcome of Yokohama FC versus Visal Kobe would be an away win. However, that was most certainly not the case. Um, in this ever surprising league that we all love so much, uh, Yokohama FC had uh, Kengo Nagai in goal for Sven Brodersen, while uh, Boniface and Duka returned to league action after an absence of almost three months. Uh, Vissel, they, they were missing Gotoku Sakai, but crucially both Yoshinori Muto and Koya Yuruki started despite going off injured against Kawasaki a couple of weeks back. Um, early on, Daiju Sasaki of Vissel and Ryuya Yamashita of Yokohama FC traded chances before midway through the first half. Former Vissel midfielder Shion Inoue, well, he left uh, 
Otaru Yamaguchi in the dust before unleashing a wonderful effort past Ayamaya Kawa from outside the box. Yokohama FC then had to weather a bit of a storm in the run-up to half-time, with uh, Muto shooting just wide and uh, Yuya Osako nodding against the top of the bar. However, into the second half, and Yokohama FC, it has to be said, looking resplendent in their in their summer kits, they doubled their advantage through some pretty vintage Route 1 football. Uh, Matthias Moraes, he played it forward. Uh, his compatriot, Matthias Tuller, at the heart of the Vissel defence, he didn't deal with it at all well. And Yamashita slipped in to place the ball between Mayakawa's legs and spark wild scenes of jubilation behind the net. Uh, things then got worse for, for Tuller as he upended substitute Keijiro Ogawa. And the referee pointed to the spots. Um, Sho Ito, he, he stepped up, or, or should that be maybe maybe stuttered up? And he saw his efforts saved by Mayakawa. Uh, 2-0 to the Fourier, the final score. So, um, John, tell us more. Uh, how reflective is that score on, on the game you watched? Yeah, I think um, it's we're, we're talking on Monday morning, so it's only a few hours since I... Well, I'm still recovering from uh, from being behind the goal last night. As you can imagine, the, the, the celebrations were, were pretty wild. Um, yeah, I think, like you said, Johnny, this game... Uh, we, you and I have been around the block a, a few times with with football, so you, you tend to be ready for disappointment at all times. Yes. But th- th- this was one of these games where before, you know, the day before, I was I was looking forward to going to the stadium and watching a game because I was going with my son, which is always good. But um, I had no expectations at all that we were going to get any points from this match because you know we're playing against a team that's uh, at the top of the league. And uh, obviously, as, as discussed, uh, ad infinitum by us, we, we've lost Koki Ogawa, our star striker. We've also, uh, in, in before this game, we sold uh, Saulo Minero, who was probably the second best striker as well. So uh, we, we really are down to the, the, the bare bones up front, which perhaps we'll talk about a little bit later. And then, uh, yeah, when the team news was announced, um, yeah, we, uh, we we changed goalkeepers after, uh, obviously, Sven Brodersen. He made a, a bad mistake at the end of the, the Hiroshima game, the last game before the, the summer break. And he uh, he was punished for that by being dropped, I think. And yeah, Kengo Nagai replaced him, which is um you know it's it's a sharp there was a sharp intake of breath really <laughs> when when we saw the team news. And then uh, yeah, Boniface coming back in at centre back as well again. Um, you know, if you're like me, you, you check your team's starting lineup and then you check the other team's starting lineup. And I was like, mm, this, this is like we're, we're in big trouble. We're in big trouble here. So I was, I was not confident before the game after seeing the starting lineups that was even uh, even less uh, even less confident. And I was just really worried for my son that we were going to get an absolute paddling, you know, and it was going to be like five five nil down at half time and him him asking to go home and me me refusing. So, uh, yeah, to have won the game is absolutely fantastic. I think if you look at the stats, which uh, are overused these days, but they are instructive, I think we, we had 32% possession mm-hmm. and about 120 completed passes to, to mm-hmm. Corbe's 68 possession and I think 400 or 500 passes. So mm-hmm. um, if it was boxing on, on points, Corbe would, would have won. Um, mm-hmm. Fortunately, it was uh, it was football and we, uh, yeah, Shion in Norway scored um, I think I'd, I tweeted that it was a, a worldie. I think watching it again, it is a very good goal. I might have been a bit, um, you know, over overexcited, but he, he does have that ability. I think one of the frustrating things about him is he, he produces that kind of thing once every four or five games rather than you know more often which i think his ability his ability could do but then if um if he was doing it more more consistently then he perhaps wouldn't be playing for for your karma fc so that's the 
you have to take you have to take the rough with the smooth when it comes to Shion in a way I think. But yeah, brilliant goal for him. And I think he was delighted to get a goal against his uh, uh, former club. There was none of that, you know, non non celebration uh, of the goal against the former club. He uh, he went absolutely nuts. And then yeah, I think you're right. We probably had two lucky escapes early on in the first half with that header from uh, Sasaki. Um, mm-hmm. He got a free header from a, a, a free kick, and I think he probably should have got that at least on target, and that that would have put Kobe one 0 up early on, and maybe would have would have would have left us in in the brown stuff. And then yeah, just before half time, Yuya Osako, who I thought was uh, pretty good actually, is, he had a really good performance despite not not getting any goals. He he just popped up at the far post with a header that, that clipped the top of the crossbar. If either of those two headers had gone in, it would have been a, would have been a different story uh, into the second half, and then. Yeah, we we were kind of braced for this storm of of Corbe pressure and it it came in terms of possession and moving us around and they they, they ended up bringing on uh, Jan Patrick and uh, Lincoln late on as they they rolled the dice, but it never really materialised into sort of backs to the wall defending, I don't think, from Yokohama FC. We we, we were relatively, considering the circumstances, we were relatively comfortable. And then, uh, yes, Ryoya Mashita got the, the second goal with a classic. That, that's become his kind of archetypal goal, really, because it shows his his pace and also his technique to, to get behind the last defender and, and score. And yeah, Matthias uh, Tula did not have a, a great uh, a great night, I don't think. He was at fault for that second goal. And then, yeah, he brought down Ogawa for the penalty, which uh, which was a pretty good save actually from Mike Howard, the 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 Kobe keeper. But um, yeah, it, it turned out to just be a really really satisfying uh, night's work. And uh, as as you all know from from uh, supporting Gamba Osaka, I suppose all football supporters you know, fully full satisfaction is quite rare when you come back to the <laughs> stadium. So uh, yeah, I'm just basking uh, just basking in that today really. But um, yeah, I'm not under any illusions that we. Uh, we thrashed Kobe or anything like that. We we were we, we scored the goals at good times and then we we contained them very well uh, defensively. I think and they they had a bit of an off. Uh, I, I'm I'm not kidding myself that they you know Kobe obviously a really good team and had a bit of an off day, especially in an attacking uh, attacking well and attacking and defensive sense. But yeah, very very, very from a, a Yokohama C perspective, um, uh, there's there's almost nothing to complain about, which is uh, incredible. <laughs> Well, th- thanks very much for that, John. It's, it's really interesting you mes- mentioned about the, the VCL passing statistics because that, that's something they used to do an awful lot of, isn't it? They used to just pass the ball from side to side and not really go, go anywhere. But th- this season, they've really kind of turned that turned that around. So mm-hmm. well, hopefully for their fans, it'll, that'll just be a, a one-off blip, as you say, and then they'll be able to kind of onwards and upwards from, from next week. But I wanted to maybe talk about the, the, the bottom three or, or maybe even the bottom five, as, as it might be at the moment, because... Yeah, you Yokohama FC, they won they won 2-0, but also uh, Shonan and Kashiwa, the, the other two teams that are right in, in the thick of it, they both won uh, 1-0. So you, you're you're third from bottom with, with 18 points, one point ahead of Kashiwa, uh, 17th with 17 points, and Shonan 18th with uh, 16 points. And then, you know, five points ahead of you is, is Kyoto Sanga, who, who lost to Kashiwa, and then a point ahead of them is Alberich Nigata. Do you think, you know, Sam and I had had written off Kyoto and Niigata as being completely safe? Do you think they could get dragged into it? And and what's your kind of take on the the whole relegation scrap after those those three victories for the the three at the bottom uh, yeah. last weekend? Yeah, it's absolutely fascinating, isn't it? I meant to check if those three, uh, Yokohama, Shonan and Kashiwa, if they've all won on the same weekend earlier this season. I'm pr- pr- pretty sure they probably haven't, right? Because they, they've won. So I would imagine this, not. This yeah. is probably the first time. So, yeah, I, I think j- just briefly on like Niigata and Kyoto, if they continue to, to, to struggle, then they, they could get sucked back into it, I think. 
Um, I was exactly the same as you and Sam. I thought the bottom three was was set in stone because the gap was. Uh, I think it's five points now, isn't it? But it was bigger. Yes. It was bigger before that. So yeah, I wouldn't. Um, I think they need to be looking over their their shoulders, possibly a yeah, a bit nervously. I think yeah, the, the the bottom three do seem to be the weakest squads. I think. Mm-hmm. So it, it's hard to imagine. You know, Kyoto finishing bottom, I can't really see it. Niigata finishing bottom, I can't see it. But definitely, I think the goal, if you're uh, Yokohama FC, for example, is just to keep as many teams in the mix as possible Mm -hmm. for as long as possible. And I I do think at this point, I was kind of expecting the gap between the bottom three and the rest to just be getting bigger every week. Mm -hmm. And that's that's not happening. So I think it's, uh, again, from the Yokohama FC or or Shonan Kashi perspective, that's encouraging that we're not five points. It is, you know, it's only like a a, a win. A win makes it two points and a win and a draw Mm -hmm. makes it makes it a single point. So I think, uh, yeah, I think you have to say that they're still in it, don't you? Because five five points is is, is not a lot. And we've seen, uh, you know, teams at the bottom just get a win then get another like uh just just to go to the other the other the other place j2 that only have just won back to back you know from being bottom and nine points ten points adrift they've just won back to back games and suddenly it's back on the escape is back mm-hmm. on so yeah i think we have to say if if you're a if you're a, a niigata supporter or a, a kyoto supporter you have to be looking at the you know you're planning your away games for next season you're going to have to be looking at j1 and j2 at the moment i think <laughs> Yeah, I, I, would, I would largely agree with that. I, I agree that it's difficult at the moment to imagine Niigata or Kyoto finishing bottom, but I could definitely see them getting overtaken by, say, like a Kashiwa ending up actually 14th and maybe Kyoto 17th or something. But I, I'm still finding it tough to see one of them actually being the team that finishes bottom. But, mm-hmm. you know, stranger things have happened in, in, in J1, and I'm sure they'll continue to do so. Now, one other thing I wanted to ask you about, we we're kind of on the topic, um, back to Yokohama FC, because... You mentioned we've already discussed Ogawa going and, and Saulo Mineiro's left. Has there been any kind of rumours or any talk of, of, of reinforcements we, we might see like in the coming weeks at Yokohama FC or potentially even players who might might leave? Um, absolutely nothing, as far as I'm aware, which is uh, very, very worrying. And probably the only, you know, as I mentioned, obviously the, the game last night, everything went as, as swimmingly as well as it possibly could have done. The only the only sort of flies in the ointment were, yeah, Shonan and Kashi were both winning as well. Uh, and then there's this, you know, it is a real worry when you look at our squad. I mean, it's so good that we got goals from uh, Inoue and from... Uh, Yamashita last night because otherwise we're now reliant pretty much solely on Marcelo Hian as our number nine and um, seems like a really nice guy so it's nothing personal <laughs> but you know when you, you're comparing the starting lineups and I watched Osako very closely up front for Kobe mm-hmm. last night such a good uh, mover like he's always moving he has that yeah. that that kind of knack of just always being he always seems to have half a yard of space that other players don't have he has a, a couple of split second on the ball that other players don't have um and the other thing about him is and uh, I'm digressing so I apologize Johnny but he's so he's so strong even though he looks kind of tall and slender you know compared to yeah. other players we see physically he's, he's an absolute monster so you've got you know we're playing against a team where they've got a guy up front who could probably play like for a Europa League team mm-hmm. still and then our striker Marcelo Hian hard worker no complaints but he doesn't really seem like he's quite got the J1 you know he doesn't seem to have it really uh, and I think he's got scored. I think he scored once this season. Yeah. Uh, so our, ma- our main target man and our only target man really has won one goal 
after 22 rounds that's problematic <laughs> you know? yes so um yeah when it comes to sort of your karma fc avoiding the drop it's it, you know the, the team seems to be crying out for reinforcements in that area uh, as far as i can see um so I, I would be i would be very surprised if it gets to the end of the transfer window when we don't have anybody in mm-hmm. um but i am getting increasingly concerned because you know it seems like teams around us are, are, are have moved you know like sean and brought in uh akira disaro for, for example um yeah. the one loads of tran- there's transfer news daily right around the j league mm-hmm. at the moment and your com fc it's very uh, it's very quiet indeed and I, I think that just raises the specter that maybe the the club the, the front office is just going to try and go for it with what they have and then the big fear is of course somebody might come in and offer f- money for Rio Yamashita which you know if we lost him um, then we would be down to having really a, you know a, it already looks like quite a competitive J2 squad but a bit short for J1 yeah so yeah we, we don't need to lose anybody else and uh, yeah, we really need some new forwards. I know there was there was some rumours about Brian Linson leaving Ural mm-hmm. and coming to a team like near the bottom of of J1. So I was kind of think fingers crossed that that would be um, that that would be us because we will take anybody at this point. Uh, yeah. Anybody anybody could help us. But um, no, I don't have any. There's nothing concrete as far as I know. But I would be really disappointed if we get to the end of the transfer window and it's this because the, the the players are working really hard at the moment. Mm-hmm. And it's just very obvious that they they just need a little bit of help, like a couple of fresh couple of fresh mm-hmm. bodies in, especially up front, would really do for them. Like I think the last three home games, we've had three clean sheets. We had clean sheets against Urawa, Gamba, and Kobe. Yeah. Um, but we've only taken you know five points where we perhaps could have had more if we just just had a bit more of a clinical, bit more of a cutting edge up front. So uh, yeah, yeah I, re- I really hope we get somebody. But no, no, no. Uh, uh, I'm available, but they haven't called me. So. <laughs> Yeah, we're still waiting. I think that 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 Linson, I hadn't heard about that, but I think that that's potentially like you mentioned, like Osako is like a Europa League forward. I think Linson is for that bridge between say an Osako and a Marcelo Hian. I think he he hasn't hasn't really worked out far from uh, Urawa, but he, he was injured and then Rodriguez left, and the, the new coach doesn't seem to to fancy him. But I think mm. he would occupy defenders a lot more, and he's a he's played at Feyenoord and he's played in the Dutch top league for, for a long time. So that would definitely be a, a very useful signing for, for anyone down the bottom, I, I would imagine. And you know, speaking of transfers, uh, John, I wanted to turn your attention again, because we, the last time we were together, we, we discussed some, some J1, J2 transfers. Mm. Um, and uh, another one that's happened since then is uh, Omiya Ardija starlet Masaya Shibayama. He, he's moved to, to Cerezo Osaka and he made his debut uh, yesterday, Sunday against FC Tokyo. And we actually got a question about him from uh, Steve, who is uh, at rdj one talk on Twitter. I believe you, you've, you've done some, some podding with him before. Uh, oh, Steve yes, asked a few yes. questions for, for, for both of us. Um, he's an Omiya fan. He says, uh, why did Serizo buy uh, Shibayama from Omiya? Do you think it would be good for club and player or be much like Izumi Sawa to Gamba before? Why did Omiya sell him given their current league situation, money for new players or player demands? So if I can take the first part of that question, John, and then I'll pass it to you. I mean, Jin Izumi Gamba, I think we could probably do a, an entire spin-off pod on that or <laughs> transfers that could have been brilliant but but just didn't. I, I think if I was to summarise it, Izumi Samara, a bit like I mentioned with like, like Linson or, or some of these other transfers you see in, in J1 where you have to question the scouting a bit. They've signed someone who is objectively a good player, but how much have they looked into how will that player fit into the, the kind of setup? I, I feel like 
Izumi Sawa and, and Kenta Hasegawa wasn't really a good combination. Allied with the fact, I think that 2016 season Izumi Sawa had at Omiya, I think that was his his one real season, wasn't it? Like mm. some players, like you know, like Kengo Nakamura or Yasuhito Endo, they they just go on and on and on top level year in year out. But some players have a very sharp peak, and I think. Isumi Sawa is a very good, maybe lower J1, upper J2 player, but he had that one brilliant season where he looked like a genuine like, top six player. Um, Shibayama, on the other hand, uh, I think we talked about uh, Hikaru Nakahara. He, he left uh, Serizu to go to Tokyo Verdi. Um, he's, he's six years older than, than Shibayama, who Shibayama is essentially his, his replacement. I would say, you know, speaking in August 2023, I'd say Nakahara is a better player than Shiba, uh, Shibayama. But Shibayama, obviously younger, has, has far more upsides. And, you know, I think uh, Shibayama, he's got, he's got numerous goals and assists, seven goals, nine assists across the last season and a half in a, a, a pretty poor Omiya team. I think he, he might be a bit frustrated. He's, he's pulled his weight, whereas uh, others haven't. Mm. He's a candidate to go to the, the Paris Olympics. He, he's of the, that age. And yeah, I'm sorry, I'm sure Steve, Steve Mike would, would, would agree that you're not going to go to the, the Olympics playing for Omiya. He may very well do so if he played for, for Serizo. And then potentially, again, if he does well for Serizo at, at that age, he could go to, to Europe, which seems to be the goal of many young young Japanese players. So for, for Shibayama, despite being a, an Omiya youth product, I think there's a lot of upside for him. Serizo, they really need to get the average age of the squad down. They're probably not going to challenge for the top three this season, but they're in absolutely no danger of, of any relegation at, at, at all. So we mm. might as well go for kind of younger players to embed them in before having a real go at the top two, top three next season. What, what about you, John? How would you take it first, maybe from, from Shibayama's perspective and then also for, from an, an Omiya perspective? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, first of all, you, you got through that without mentioning Harry Ide, Johnny, which was very well well done <laughs> of you. I thought that's, that's another another one for the series of uh, special special one-off pods, I think. Um, yeah, I, I think that there's nothing nothing I can disagree with about about what you've said there. And yeah, Shibayama's a player who, from my point of view, I started hearing about him probably from Steve, actually, like I think maybe four, three or four years ago. So he's he's still very young, but he's been kind of front and center of sort of you know the the sort of the, the golden the, the golden player that's going to come through from the youth team into the first team at Omiya, and he he's done that this season. I suppose if you um, just about it's just about fair to call this his breakout season. I suppose like you mentioned his stats, and he's always uh, he's always eye catching, and it's not uh, it's not easy to stand out in the Omiya team this season or last. I don't think mm-hmm. so. He's he's done well in that sense. I think he's very uh, raw as as a player, and he possibly like like you alluded to in in your your comments. I think maybe he wants he probably recognises that as well and wants to improve his his game. He might have um, sort of sat down and thought about it and figured out I'm not going to improve my game much playing at Omiya now. Mm-hmm. So it probably is uh, is time to, to to step up. Possibly there's a need to generate funds to play uh, to pay for Jakob Switzok's wages. Yeah. Um, which might be a factor, and I, I think the overriding um, the overriding answer I wanted to give was that I think this is just indicative of like the financial state of J2 at the moment, mm-hmm. uh, and possibly going forward. I think in the past you might have seen these players maybe be sold during the, the winter, you know, during the close season. But but I, I think now the, the the finances dictate that players like pretty much in in J2 everybody is. Like you know, when you when you check sort of Premier League news, there's often a news story with someone saying, "Oh, so and so's not for sale, right? Harry mm-hmm. Kane's not for sale 
uh, he did, um, who is it at the moment? The Manchester City player Bernardo Bernardo Silva is not for sale. Mm-hmm. So like in in J two, everybody's constantly for sale. Yeah. That there isn't any club that can perhaps match you there this year. Maybe would be the one who who don't need to sell if if they don't want to. But even Tokyo Verde, you know, sold uh, Byron Vasquez. Yeah. To, to, to match you know when that happened it was big news because it was the team in second selling to the team in first mm-hmm. um so yeah i don't think there's any you know every every, every j2 player has their has their price uh, uh, such as it is and I, I think shibayama like you said probably probably thinks he's gone as far as he can go uh, at Olmia. so i'm not surprised that he's left i think serazzo is a little bit of a um don't want to use the word graveyard but they do have I think Steve is a, a Chelsea supporter, isn't he? Yeah, back back home in the Kenya. They do have a so a bit like that. They kind of hoover up a lot of players from from J2 and kind of stockpile them. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, some, sometimes as a season J2 watcher, it can be a bit annoying because like you're, you're taking all of our toys away and not even playing with them, sort of thing. <laughs> um, so I think yeah, Satoki Ojo went through that for a while at Serto, and I think I know he's in the team now. And uh, who else? Uh, Nakama from. Uh, from, he went to Kashiwa. I suppose it's not not a great example because it's a different <laughs> club. But you, you know what I mean, like players. Yeah. How, how much? Na- game, Nakahara would be a classic. Nakahara, yes, sorry, yes, yeah. that's better. Yes, yeah. so so how much game time are these guys going to get? That's that's what I'm really curious about. Obviously, they players, professional footballers have to have a lot of self confidence, so they always think they're going to play when they go to a new mm-hmm. team. Uh, I don't think there are many players who are circumspect enough to think, well, if I go there, I'm not going to play. Um, I think that's why it's so impressive that Zion Suzuki has turned apparently turned down Manchester United to go to to, to Belgium. I, I assume yeah. that's because he thinks he's going to play uh, in Belgium, where he wouldn't wouldn't play at Manchester United. So, yeah, it, it, it's a weird one. I think from the J2 point of view, obviously, it's, you, it, it's it almost distorts the league when players are sold kind of mid-season. Mm-hmm. Uh, although I understand why why it has to happen, but I think the main I think the main reasons why Olmia would have accepted the offer, surely financial, like there's no way they'd want to lose uh, Shibiyama at this stage. And um, yeah, it's a short career and, and players want to go as high as they can, as quickly as they can. Whether it's the right move for him, I think we'll we'll wait and see. I'm, I'm not I'm not convinced. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's I, I think we just have to get used to like, well, I I'm, you think I'm used to it now in J2 where like players that do well, players used to do well for a season, then move up to J1. Uh, but I think we we sort of reached the, the the new normal of players if if they if they do well from February to June, then that they are they are going to be probably going to be moving on um, fairly quickly. So um, yeah, it, it, it is what it is. And of course, I hope he does well. But um, yeah, I, I feel I feel Steve's uh, I feel Steve's pain. It's always difficult to lose your uh, lose your good players. But um, yeah, never mind. Very good answer, John. Thank you very much for that. And also, Steve, thank you very much for your, your question. It gave us a, a good talking point. So I hope our answers could, uh, could satisfy you. So finally, John, um, I wanted to talk about uh, round 23, which will take place over Saturday 12th of August and uh, Sunday the 13th of August, which of course is, uh, is peak Obon holiday season here in Japan. So we, we may see some some big attendances around the country. Uh, things kick off here in Japan at two o'clock on Saturday, uh, Sapporo against uh, Sagan Tosu. And at six o'clock, we've got uh, Albert Niigata. They're taking on Shonan Belmare. Uh, at seven o'clock, we've got Kashiwa Reysol, Serizo Osaka. Then FC Tokyo host Joto Sanga. Uh, Kawasaki Frontale uh, hosting Diesel Kobe. They're, they're back in Kanagawa again uh, next week. Then we've got your uh, Yokohama FC traveling to Avispa Fukuoka. 
and uh, Yokohama F Marinos at 7.30, they host Gamba Osaka, that's, that's quite a big game, Marinos only have one win in the last eight home games against a, a rampant Gamba. On to uh, Sunday, then there's two battles of original 10 uh, J-League members as Nagoya Grampus face uh, Kashima Antlers and then you know, struggling Sanfrecce Hiroshima, they host Urawa Reds in a game I think both sides will be desperate to take three points from. So, John, uh, out of that, uh, interesting little fixtures, which which of those games takes your fancy? Yeah, I think, it, to, to be honest, I'm not sure how randomly this fixture computer is generated with, with the Oban holidays uh, upon us, but there are some juicy, juicy games, aren't there? That Nagoya, Nagoya against Kashima has the, the whiff of a big crowd about it to me. Yeah. I think we're looking at sort of 35, 30, 35,000 perhaps uh, at least for, for that one at the uh, Toyota Stadium. Um, from the other games that look good... Just quickly on Kawasaki Kobe, I, I don't want to don't want to rile anybody up saying, but I just, I just wondered if Kobe perhaps having a bit of a wobble at the moment, um, because they're not obviously they they, they they didn't play particularly well uh, yesterday. I think they they had to come back from two goals down to get to get a point, didn't they? Um, against Kawasaki not too long ago in that rearranged game. So rearranged game two weeks. Yeah, ago. so it's it's interesting to see them kind of going going back going head to head again so soon after that. So I think Corbe will be looking to tighten up a lot. I think on on what they produced yesterday in that game. And obviously for for reasons that I'm sure the listeners have already heard for, from you in in the pod, uh, Kawasaki will e- be equally eager to uh, to make some changes <laughs> in that game. So I think that 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 game looks pretty good. Um, the other one that I wanted to mention was yeah Niigata Shonan. Mm-hmm. Obviously, with my uh, Yokohama FC hat on, that is a big game at the bottom of the table. Sean and I are in the, the 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 relegation spot at the moment, um, but Niigata are not in not in the greatest shape, I don't think, right now. It's it's not inconceivable that Sean and could go there and get something from the game, and if Sean and get a win. Well, uh, the the you know back-to-back wins for Shonan is is pretty pretty much unheard of this season, and it would really kind of plunge Niigata or, or drag Niigata back into the the sort of the really into the thick of the relegation dogfight. So, um, in a weird way, Shonan are below us at the moment, so I want Niigata to win. But if Shonan did win, that would also have the effect of perhaps you know p- pulling another team into the into the dogfight with us. So it kind of depends if you're a glass glass half full or half empty person, which result you'd want. But I think that that, that has a potential to be a quite an important game in the, in the dogfight. I think similarly to you, John, I'm going to go down the, the less beaten path because I think, you know, the, the, the J League, you know, the international channel, they'll be all over Marinos Gamba and the, the two big 10 games on, on Sunday and, and even Kawasaki VCL. But I think that, that Kashiwa Serizo game, because Serizo, again, are kind of slightly wobbling. the win one, lose one, win two, lose two. So I think Kashiwa, after the win last week against Kyoto, I think they'll very much fancy themselves to win that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think if they, they get two wins in a row, they do have players like Hosoya and, and Savio, very dangerous players. I think if they get up a bit of a head of steam, that they might not necessarily go on a Gamba-esque, like seven, eight game unbeaten run. But I think you don't, need, you don't really need to do that to pull away it. I think if they can win that game, then I'd be reasonably confident they will start to kind of climb up the table a bit and away mm. from that bottom spot. So, yeah, mm. it's nice we've picked some some of the, the less the less well known games. Um, so, John, I, I, I asked you for about fifteen or twenty minutes. We've gone about ten minutes beyond that, but that's that's part of the course, I guess. So, I just wanted to say uh, thank you very much for for joining me. It's it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, no problem, John. All good. Yeah, extra ten minutes. It's all all part of the service. <laughs> don't don't worry. 
Um, so thanks to John. Um, I'll be back uh, next week. I'll probably be, be flying solo and I may be recording part of the episode on location from the, the hometown of J1 record appearance maker Yasuhito Endo and also current league top scorer Yuya Osako. Uh, answers in a postcard as to where that might be. Uh, finally, just a thanks to all the patrons who support this podcast on Patreon. And thanks for listening, everyone. I'll see you next week. Bye for now.